Section 21 of Under Drake's Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Under Drake's Flag, A Tale of the Spanish Main by George Alfred Henty. Chapter 20. A Portuguese Settlement. The day broke bright and sunny. The first care of the boys was to examine their canoe, and they found, as they had feared, that a huge hole had been made in her bottom by the crash against the rocks on landing. They looked for some time with rueful countenances at it, and then, as usual, turned to Ned, to ask him what he thought had best be done. There can be no doubt, he said, that the natives make a sort of glue out of some trees or shrubs growing in these islands, and we shall have to endeavor to discover the tree from which they obtain it. We can, of course, easily pull off the bark from some tree, which will do to cover the hole. The great point is to find some substance which will make it watertight. The grove was a very large one, and appeared to extend along the whole coast. Seaward, it was formed entirely of cocoa trees, but inland a large number of other trees were mingled with palms. All day the boys attempted to find some semblance of gum oozing from these trees. With sharp pieces of shell they made incisions in the bark of each variety that they met with, to see if any fluid exuded which might be useful for this purpose, but in vain. If we can kill some animal or other, Ned said, we might boil down its sinews and skin and make glue as Tom and myself did to mend our bows with among the Indians on the pampas. But even then I questioned whether the glue would stand the action of the water. As to their substance, they had no uneasiness. Besides the cocos, fruits of all sorts abounded. In the woods, parrots and other birds flew screaming among the branches at their approach. And although at present they had no means of shooting or snaring these creatures, they agreed that it would be easy to construct bows and arrows should their stay be prolonged. This, however, they shrank from doing, as long as any possible method of escape presented itself. Were it absolutely necessary, they agreed that they could burn down a tree and construct a fresh canoe, but they were by no means sanguine as to their boat-building capabilities, and were reluctant to give up the idea of continuing their voyage in their present craft as long as a possibility of so doing remained. So they passed four days, but succeeded in finding no gum or other substance which appeared likely to suit their purpose. I should think, Reuben said one day, that it would be possible to make the canoe so buoyant that she would not sink, even if filled with water. How would you do that? Tom asked. There are many light woods, no doubt, among the trees that we see, but they would have to remain a long time to dry, to be light enough to be of any use. I was thinking, Reuben said, that we might use coconuts. There are immense quantities upon the trees, and the ground is covered with them from the effects of the late gale. If we strip off the whole of the outside husk, and then make holes in the little eyes at the top and let out the milk, using young ones in which the flesh has not yet formed, and cutting sticks to fit tightly into the holes, they would support a considerable weight in the water. I should think that if we treated several hundred nuts in this way, put them in the bottom of the canoe, and keep them in their places by a sort of net, which we might easily make from the fibers of the cocos, the boat would be buoyant enough to carry us. 
The idea struck all as being feasible, and Reuben was much congratulated upon his inventive powers. Without delay they set to work to carry out the plan. A piece of thin bark was first taken, and, by means of a long thorn used as a needle, was sewn over the hole in the canoe, with the fibers of the cocoa. Then a large pile of nuts was collected, and the boys set to work at the task of emptying them of their contents. It took them some hours' work to make and fit the pegs. Another two days were spent in manufacturing a net to stretch across the boat above them. The nuts were then placed in the boat, the net put into shape, and choosing a calm night for their trial, for they feared during the daytime, to show themselves beyond the margin of the forest. They placed it in the water and paddled a short distance out. They found that their anticipations were justified, and that the flotation of the cocos was amply sufficient to keep the boat afloat. She was, of course, far lower in the water than she had before been, and her pace was greatly deteriorated. This, however, they had expected, and returning to shore, they watched for the next night. Then, taking in a load of provisions, they started at once upon their way. It was weary work now, for the waterlogged canoe was a very different boat to the light bark, which had yielded so easily to their strokes. Fortunately, however, they met with no misadventure. The weather continued calm. They were unseen, or at least not followed, from any of the islands that they passed on their way. But it was ten days after their final start, before a large island, which they all recognized as Ternate, was seen rising above the water. Easy all, Ned said. We may be thankful indeed that we have arrived safely in sight of the island. But now that we are close and there is no fear of tempests, had we not better talk over whether at all we should land at Ternate? Not land at Ternate, the others exclaimed in consternation, for indeed the work during the last few days had been very heavy, and they were rejoicing at the thought of an end to their labors. Why, we thought it was arranged all along we should stop at Ternate. Yes, but we arranged that because at Ternate alone there seemed a certainty of a welcome. But, as you know, Tidore only lies twelve miles away from Ternate, and from the position we are now in it will not be more than five or six miles farther. You see, when we were there, the king was preparing for a war with the Portuguese in Tidore and he would certainly expect us to assist him, and probably to lead his fighting men. But we should have no objection to that, Reuben said. Not in the least, Ned replied. But you see, if we are ever to get back to England, it must be through the Portuguese. Their ships alone are to be found in these seas, and were we to join the king of Ternate in an attack upon them, whether successful or not, we could never hope to be received in Portuguese ships and should probably, indeed, be taken to Goa, and perhaps burned there as heretics, if we were to seek asylum on board. What do you think? Viewed in this light, it certainly appeared more prudent to go to Tidore, and after some little discussion, the boat's head was turned more to the west, and the lads continued their weary work in paddling the waterlogged canoe. So slowly did she move that it was late at night before they approached the island. They determined not to land till morning, as they might be mistaken for natives, and attacked. They therefore lay down in the canoe and went to sleep, when within about a mile of the island, and the next morning paddled along its shore until they saw some canoes hauled up, 
together with an English boat, and supposed that they were at the principal landing place of the island. On either side of the landing place, the cliffs rose steeply up at a short distance from the beach. But at this point, a sort of natural gap existed, up which the road ascended into the interior of the island. There were several natives moving about on the beach as the boys approached, and one of these was seen at once to start at a run up the road. The lads had carefully removed all vestige of the paint from their faces and hands, and, having put on their doublets, concealed the strange appearance presented before by their white shirts. No resistance was opposed to their landing, but the natives motioned to them that they must not advance inland until a messenger returned from the governor. The boys were only too glad to throw themselves down full length on the soft sand of the beach and to dry their clothes in the sun, as for ten days they had been constantly wet and were stiff and tired. Presently a native came down at a run and announced that the governor was at hand. Rising to their feet and making the best show they could in their faded garments, the lads soon saw a Portuguese gentleman, attended by four soldiers, coming down the road between the cliffs. "'Who are you?' he asked in Portuguese, as he reached them, and whence came you? "'We are Englishmen,' Ned said in Spanish. "'We belong to the ship of Captain Drake, which passed by here in its voyage of circumnavigation. "'By an accident, we in the canoe were separated from the ship and left behind. "'We have come to seek your hospitality and protection.' "'We heard of an English vessel at Ternate,' the governor said sternly, "'some weeks since.' and heard also that its captain was making an alliance with the king there against us it was not so ned said the admiral stopped there for a few days to obtain supplies such as he needed but we are not here either to make alliances or to trade captain drake on starting intended to voyage around the coast of america and to return if possible by the north after coasting up the western shores of that continent he found that it would be impossible to pass around the north as the coast extended so rapidly toward the north of Asia. He therefore started to return by the Cape, and on his way passed through these islands. Had it been part of his plan to make alliances with the king of Ternate, or any other potentate, he would have stopped and done so, and would have given his armed assistance to the king. But his object was simply to return as quickly as possible. Had there been any alliance made, we should naturally have made for Ternate instead of this island, but as we have no relations with the king, and seek only means of returning to Europe, we preferred, of course, to come here, where we knew that we should find Christians, and, we hoped, friends. There was palpable truth in what Ned said, and the governor, unbending, expressed his readiness to receive and help them. He then asked a few more questions about the manner in which they had become separated from their friends, and, seeing no advantage in concealing the truth, and thinking perhaps that it would be well, if an opportunity should offer, that the governor should send a vessel to search among the islands near where the wreck took place, and see if any of the crew had sought refuge there, they told him frankly the circumstances under which they had left the Golden Hind. It would be sad indeed, said the Portuguese, if so grand an expedition, under so noble a commander, should have been wrecked after accomplishing such a work. We in these parts are not friendly to any European meddling. His Holiness the Pope granted us all discoveries on this side of the Cape, and we would fain trade in peace and quiet, without interference. 
but we can admire the great deeds and enterprise of your countrymen and indeed he said smiling for the portuguese are as a rule a very small race was looking at the bulk of the four young men which was indeed almost gigantic by the side of himself and his soldiers i am scarcely surprised now i see you at the almost legendary deeds which i hear that your countrymen have performed on the spanish main but now follow me to my castle and i will there provide you with proper appliances what position did you hold in the ship we are gentlemen of devonshire ted said and bore a share in the enterprise sailing as gentlemen adventurers under captain drake i myself held the rank of third officer in the ship then senors the portuguese said bowing i am happy to place myself and my house at your disposal it may be that you will be able to render me services which will far more than repay any slight inconvenience or trouble to which i may be put for we hear that the king of ternate is preparing a formidable expedition against us and as my garrison is a very small one and the natives are not yet to be relied upon to fight against those of the other island the addition of four such experienced soldiers as yourself will in no slight degree strengthen us the boys replied that their swords were at the service of their host and well content with the turn things had taken they proceeded with him up the road into the interior of the island upon gaining the higher land they were surprised at the aspect of the island in place of the almost unbroken forest which they had beheld in other spots at which they had landed here was fair cultivated land large groves of spice trees grew here and there and the natives were working in the fields with the regularity of europeans the portuguese method of cultivating the islands which they took differed widely from that of the english their first step was to compel the natives to embrace christianity their second was to make them docile and obedient laborers raising spice and other products for which they received in payment calico beads and european goods the castle which stood in the centre of a small plain was built of stone roughly hewn and was of no strength which would have resisted any european attack but was well calculated for the purpose for which it was designed it consisted of a pleasant house standing in an enclosure round which was a wall some fifteen feet in height with a platform running behind it to enable its garrison to shoot over the top a ditch of some ten feet in length and fifteen feet wide surrounded it so that without scaling ladders to ascend the walls or cannon to batter holes in them the place could be well held against any attack that the natives might make upon it the garrison was not a formidable one consisting only of some thirty portuguese soldiers whose appearance did not speak much for the discipline maintained their uniforms were worn and rusty in the extreme they were slovenly in appearance and wore a look of discontent and hopelessness a large portion of them indeed had been criminals and had been offered the choice of death or of serving for ten years which generally meant for life in the eastern seas ned judged that no great reliance could be placed upon this army of scarecrows in the event of an attack of a serious character my men would scarcely show to advantage at home the governor said noting the glance of surprise with which the boys had viewed them but in a country like this with such great heat and no real occasion for more than appearances it is hopeless to expect them to keep up the smartness which would at home be necessary 
The natives are very docile and quiet and give us no trouble whatever. And were it not for interference from Ternate, where the people are of a much more warlike nature, the guard which I have would be ample for any purposes. I am expecting a vessel which calls here about once in six months, very shortly, and anticipate that she will bring me some twenty more soldiers, for whom I wrote to the viceroy at Goa when she last called here. "'What is your latest news from Ternate?' Ned asked. "'We have no direct news,' he said. "'What we know we gather from the natives, who, by means of canoes and fishing boats, are often in communication with those of the opposite island. They tell me that great preparations are being made, that several of the largest-sized canoes have been built, and that they believe, when it is full moon, which is generally the era at which they commence their adventures, there will be a descent upon this island.' then you have seven days in which to prepare ned said have you been doing anything to enable you to receive them hotly i have not the governor said but now that you gentlemen have come i doubt not that your experience in warfare will enable you to advise me as to what steps i had better take i stand at present alone here the officer who under me commanded the garrison died two months since and I myself, who was brought up in a civil rather than a military capacity, am, I own to you, strange altogether to these matters. Ned expressed the willingness of himself and his friends to do all in their power to advise and assist the governor, and, with many mutual compliments, they now entered the house, where a goodly room was assigned to them. Some natives told off as their servants, and the governor at once set two native seamsters to work, to manufacture garments of a proper cut for them, from materials which he had in a storehouse for trading with the neighboring chiefs, who, like all savages, were greatly given to finery. Thus, by the end of the week, the boys were able once more to make a show which would have passed muster in a European capital. At the governor's request, they had at once proceeded to drill the soldiers, Ned and Gerald taking each the command of a company of fifteen men, as they understood Spanish, and could readily make themselves understood in Portuguese, for as Tom and Reuben knew but little of the Spanish tongue. I think, Tom said the first morning to the governor, after the friends had discussed the prospect together, it would be well to throw up some protection at the top of the road leading from the shore. I should order some large trees to be cut down, and dragged by a strong force of natives to the spot, and there so arranged that their branches will point downward, and form a chevaux de frise in the hollow way, leaving until the last moment a passage between them, but having at hand a number of young saplings to fill up the gap. There are, I suppose, other places at which the enemy could land? Oh, yes, the governor said. On the other side of the island, the land slopes gradually down to the shore, and, indeed, it is only a few miles at this point that the cliffs rise so abruptly that they could not be ascended. Yet even here there are many points which a native could easily scale, although we in our accoutrements would find it impossible. While Ned and Gerald drilled their men with great assiduity, astonishing the Portuguese soldiers with their energy and authoritative manner, Tom and Reuben occupied themselves in superintending the felling of the trees and their carriage, by means of a large number of natives, to the top of the road. Preparations were also made for blocking up the lower windows of the house, so that, in case of the enemy's succeeding in carrying the outer wall, a stout resistance could be made within. Large piles of provisions were stored in the building, 
and great jars of water placed there. "'Are you sure?' Ned asked the governor one evening. "'Of the natives here? "'For I own that there appears to me "'to be a sullen defiance in their manner, "'and I should not be surprised to see them turn upon us "'immediately those from the other island arrive. "'If they did so, of course our position at the top of the road "'would be untenable, as they could take us in the rear. "'However, if they do so, I doubt not that we shall be able "'to cut our way back to the castle without difficulty.' i think that it would be in any case advisable to leave at least ten men to hold the castle while the rest of us opposed the landing there were in store four small culverins and several light wall pieces two of the culverins were placed on the cliff one at each side of the path so as to command the landing two others were placed on the roof of the castle which was flat and terraced the wall pieces were also cleaned and placed in position at the corners of the walls and the boys, having seen that the musketoons and arquebuses of the garrison were in excellent order and ready for service, felt that all had been done that was possible to prepare for an attack. The day before the full moon, a sentinel was placed at the cliff with orders to bring words instantly to the castle in case any craft were seen coming from Ternate, the distance from the cliff to the house being about a mile. A short time after daybreak next morning, the sentry arrived at full speed, saying that a great fleet of canoes was visible hurrying to the spot with the governor the lads made out that the approaching flotilla consisted of eighteen great war canoes each of which crowded as it was might contain a hundred men and in addition to these were a large number of smaller craft the invading force therefore would considerably exceed two thousand men reuben had the command of a gun at one side tom at the other and these now loaded and sighted their pieces, so as to pour a volley of case-shot into the canoes when they arrived within a quarter of a mile from shore. The canoes came along in a dense body, as close together as they could paddle, their rowers filling the air with defiant yells. When they reached the spot upon which the guns had been trained, Tom fired his piece, and its roar was answered by wild screams and yells from the crowded fleet. Reuben followed suit, and the destruction wrought by the guns was at once manifest. Three of the great canoes were broken into pieces, and their occupants, swimming in the water, climbed into the others, among which also a great many men had been wounded. The effect of this reception upon the valor of the natives was very speedy. Without a moment's delay they backed off, and were soon seen making out of range of the guns, like a troop of wild fowl scattered by the shot of a fowler. They have a horror of cannon, the governor said exultingly, as he witnessed their departure. If we had a few more pieces, I should have no fear of the result. The dispersal of the canoes continued only until they thought that they were out of range, for although the lads now sent several round shot at them, these did not produce any effect, the canoes being but small objects to hit at a distance when on the move, and the culverins being old pieces and but little adapted for accurate shooting the fleet were soon seen to gather again and after a little pause they started in a body as before along the coast they are going to make a landing elsewhere ned said and we shall have to meet them in the open it is a pity that we have no beasts of burden to which to harness our pieces for as these are only ship's guns it is impossible for us to drag them at a speed which would enable us to oppose their landing where are all the natives? 
At the first alarm, a large body of the islanders had assembled upon the cliff, but in the excitement of watching the approaching enemy, their movements had not been noticed. It was now seen that the whole of them had left the spot, and not a single native was in sight. I think, Ned said, we had better fall back and take up a position near the house, and repel their attack with the assistance of the guns mounted there. With muskets only, we should not have much chance of preventing their landing, and, indeed, they will row much faster along the coast than we could run to keep up with them. The governor agreed in the justice of Ned's view and the whole force were now ordered to fall back towards the castle. As they proceeded, they saw large bodies of the natives. These, however, kept at a distance, but their exultant shouts showed that they must be considered to have gone over to the enemy. "'I will make you pay for this,' the governor said, stamping his foot and shaking his fist angrily in their direction. "'Each man shall have to furnish double the amount of spice for half the amount of calico for the next five years. Ungrateful dogs!' when we have done so much for them. Ned could scarcely help smiling to himself at the thought of the many benefits which the Portuguese had bestowed upon these unfortunate islanders, whom they had reduced from a state of happy freedom to one which, whatever it might be called, was but little short of slavery. It was late in the evening before great numbers of the enemy were seen approaching, and these, swelled as they were by the population of the island, appeared a formidable body. Indeed, by the side of the handful of white men who were drawn up to defend the place, the enemy, numerous as he was, appeared indisposed to commence a fight at once, but began, to the fierce indignation of the governor, to cut down the groves of spice trees and to build great fires with them. I don't think that they will attack until tomorrow, Ned said, and it would be well, therefore, to withdraw within the walls, to plant sentries, and to allow the men to rest. We shall want all our strength when the battle begins. Do you think, the governor asked, when they were seated in his room, and had finished the repast which had been prepared, that it will be well to sally out to meet them in the open? Twenty white men ought to be able to defeat almost any number of these naked savages. If we had horses, I should say yes, Ned said, because then, by our speed, we could make up for our lack of numbers, and, wheeling about, could charge through and through them but they are so light and active in comparison to ourselves that we should find it difficult, if not impossible, to bring them to a hand-to-hand -hand conflict. We have indeed the advantage of our musketoons, but I observed at Ternate that many of the men have muskets, and the sound of firearms would therefore in no way alarm them. With their bows and arrows they can shoot more steadily at short distances than we can, and we should be overwhelmed with a cloud of missiles while unable to bear the strength of our arms and the keenness of our swords against their clubs and rough spears. I think that we could hold the house for a year against them, but if we lost many men in a fight outside, it might go hard with us afterwards. When morning dawned, the garrison beheld, to their dismay, that the Indians had in the night erected a battery at a quarter of a mile in front of the gate, and that in this they had placed the culverins left on the cliff and a score of the small pieces carried in their water-canoes. "'This is the work of the two white men we saw at Ternate,' Gerald exclaimed. "'No Indian could have built a battery according to this fashion.' As soon as it was fairly light, the enemy's fire opened, and was answered by the culverins on the roof of the house. The latter were much more quickly and better directed than those of the Indians, but many of the balls of the latter crashed through the great gates, 
"'Shall we make a sortie?' the governor asked Ned. "'I think that we had better wait for nightfall,' he replied. "'In passing across this open ground we should lose many men from the cannon shots, and with so small a force remaining might not be able to resist the onrush of so great numbers. Let us prepare, however, to prop up the gates should they fall, and tonight we will silence their guns.' At nightfall the gates, although sorely bruised and battered, and pierced in many places, still stood, being shored up with beams from behind. At ten o'clock twenty of the garrison were let down by ropes at the back of the castle, for Ned thought that scouts might be lurking near the gates to give notice of any sortie. With great precaution and in perfect silence they made a way round, and were within a hundred yards of the battery before their approach was discovered then headed by the governor who was a valiant man by nature and the four english they ran at great speed forward and were inside the battery before the enemy could gather to resist them the battle was indeed a hard one for the indians with their clubs fought valorously reuben and tom having been furnished with hammer and long nails proceeded to spike the guns which they did with great quickness their doings being covered alike by their friends and by darkness when they had finished their task they gave the signal and the portuguese being sorely pressed fell back fighting strongly to the castle where the gates were opened to receive them in this sortie they lost eight men the next morning at dawn the natives being gathered in large numbers came on to the assault uttering loud and fierce cries the cannon on the roof which were under the charge of tom and reuben at once opened fire upon them while the soldiers upon the walls shot briskly with their musketoons. The natives, however, appeared determined to succeed, and firing a cloud of arrows, pushed forward towards the gate. Among them were borne, each by some thirty natives, long trees, and this party, surrounded by the main body, proceeded rapidly towards the gate, which, damaged as it was, they hoped easily to overthrow. The fire of the two culverins was, however, so deadly and the concentrated discharge of the musketoons upon them as they advanced so fatal that after trying several times to approach close to the gate the natives dropped the great logs and fled End of chapter twenty recording by dion Gines, salt lake city utah